0: Children, you're already down, so come on over. Good morning. Today I would like to, I want you to think about where you live, about your home. Home is a great place, isn't it? We're safe, right? It's where you keep all your toys and all your special things. And also your parents are there, right? Let me move this down just a little bit. And it's a good, safe place. Which brings me to a question. Why palm branches? Why do we have Palm Sunday? Does anybody know? Does any adults know? Look at it. Nobody knows. Well, I'm going to tell you. We celebrate today as Palm Sunday. Remember that the day that Jesus came to Jerusalem and everyone was glad to see him. They had a parade. They waved palm branches for him and said, Hosanna. Which brings me to my question again. Why palm branches? In the place of Jesus, there was a lot of desert. And so it was dry, hot, a lot of sand. So back in that time when people traveled, they'd get thirsty. And so they looked for what they call an oasis. Do you know what an oasis is? It's some water like out in the desert. And the way that they found that is they would look for the palm trees that would be around the water, okay? And so that's what they, they the people would get their water from the lake and they would get shade from the just because it was hot, you'd been out in the sun all day, and getting sunburned, didn't have sunscreen. So the palm, palm trees is kind of like sunscreen, right? You get in the shade and it was a safe place. So what they did when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they would wave the palm to to let him know that he was safe, that he was loved, that he was at home. You know, we don't live in the desert, but today we use palm branches to remember Jesus parade prayed in Jerusalem and to remind us that here at church we have a home safe with lots of people who love us, safe with our Lord who loves us very much. And church, a good, safe home. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for making us home. Help us to share your safety and love with others. Amen. Amen.
1: Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this wonderful church, for its leaders, and each person here this morning. As we go through this week, starting today with Palm Sunday and ending next Sunday with Easter, please help us to celebrate the life of your son and also remember his death on the cross and how he suffered for each of us, and finally to celebrate his resurrection so that we may too have eternal life. Please bless these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom and the work of this church. Amen. Scripture this morning is from, taken from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, Just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread the cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is the highest in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Let us stand as we sing, Blessed be the name, and oh, how I love Jesus.
3: Thank you.
2: Let's pray together. Oh God, on this holy day of Palm Sunday, we have so many mixed emotions inside of us. We remember your son's triumphant entrance into Jerusalem with the people shouting praises and waving the palm branches as our children did just a few moments ago. And we joined them with their praises. We shout Hosanna along with them. And yet we also remember that this wonderful parade for your son becomes another kind of parade in just a few short days. A parade before officials and booing crowds. And instead of the crowds singing his praises and shouting Hosanna, they are shouting to crucify him. And our hearts are broken by those shouts. Our hearts are broken by the pain and the suffering that he bore on that day. And yet we know that it is because he chose to enter into Jerusalem that day and he took the path that he knew he was taking that there is hope and grace and love and salvation for all. And there are still many in need of hope in our world today. There are still many in need of your grace in our world today. There are still many in need of your love in our world, and there are many in need of salvation in our world today. And so, Lord, we pray that as you entered into, into Jerusalem that day, that you would enter into our lives, our churches, our cities, our countries, once again today. Heal us, Lord. Lord transform us, renew us, draw us closer to You in this journey of Holy Week. Empower us with strength and courage and with the assurance that You are with us always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Amen. A pastor was asked to speak for a certain uh, charitable organization one evening. And, and after the meeting was over, after he had uh, uh, made his proclamation and, and, uh, and said what he had to say, after the, everything was said and done, the, the uh, chairperson, the program chairperson, handed him a check. And the pastor said, oh, I couldn't possibly take this. I just appreciate the honor of being asked to speak. You have better uses for this money, so why don't you apply it to one of those uses? And so the chairman asked the, the pastor, well, do you mind if we put it in our special fund then? And the pastor replied, of course not. Be, please go ahead and put it in your special fund. By the way, what's the special fund for? And the chairman said, well, it's so we can get a better speaker next year. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Have you ever noticed that life is just filled with humbling experiences? Uh, humility is one of those things that either you, you just have it because it's part of your character, or life has a way of imposing it upon you. But there, was, there has never been a more humble man than Jesus of Nazareth. And that's the essence of the good news for today. Because on the one hand, as we look at, at Jesus of Nazareth, we see that, that there has never been a greater man who ever lived than Jesus. He was the very word of God come down from the Father. He, is, he was the life and the light and the truth and the way. And yet, no one ever emptied himself more completely of pride and arrogance than Jesus. Consider the donkey, the lowly donkey, which he rode into Jerusalem on, on that first Palm Sunday. Now think about this. If this had been you or me, we would have chosen a a handsome stallion to ride into the city. I mean, after all, we're we're careful about the kind of car that we drive, right? You know, the world doesn't respect an old beat-up Chevrolet like it does a new BMW or Mercedes. At least that's what we tell ourselves. And so what does Jesus do? He chose a battered up old 1957 Studebaker to come into Jerusalem, to drive into Jerusalem. And and certainly that humble donkey was not a symbol of pride or prestige, was it? And Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was consistent with everything that he lived and taught in his life. Remember how offended Peter was when Jesus tried to wash his feet. He wanted to wash Peter's feet and all of the disciples' feet. And Peter was offended by that. He said, no, you can't do that. This is a job for a servant, not for a distinguished rabbi. But Jesus did it anyway to show His disciples that true greatness comes not from power and arrogance, but from humility and from service. And that was a concept that these disciples had a hard time grasping. The setting of that event when Jesus washed his disciples' feet was was at the last supper that Jesus would have with his friends before his crucifixion. Luke tells us in his version that, that on the way to that meal, the disciples had been arguing with one another about which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom that was to come. And of course, they were thinking about greatness in terms of worldly success, money and power and influence. And they thought that if you achieve true greatness, true success, you would have others that would serve you. And so they weren't prepared to handle Jesus's teaching when he said, whoever wants to be the first must be slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to, and to give His life as a ransom for many. That was a radical teaching for them to hear. It was hard for them, for them to understand and hard for them to grasp. And it's a radical teaching for us to hear today too, isn't it? And yet there's an important truth here for all of our lives. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. This is a week that's filled with ups and downs, a week of boisterous celebration and a week of devastating betrayal. And it's interesting to watch this strong son of God acknowledge his total dependence upon God during these final hours of his life. In the garden, he prays, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. On the cross, at the height of his despair, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You and I have probably prayed that prayer even when we knew that God had not forsaken us. And then at the end, he prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My friends, if Jesus found it necessary to utterly and to completely depend upon God, then how can you and I live our lives any differently? If Jesus totally uh, depended upon God, then don't you think we need to totally depend upon God as well? I read somewhere that 97% of all people, when offered a new pen to try, will write their own name. And that's understandable because, I mean, the only time many of us will ever use a pen is when we sign our names. And, and yet, a, a statistic like that, it seems kind of symbolic, doesn't it? It, it? It's very difficult for many of us to see beyond our own needs and our own circumstances. And, and that's why it is so essential for us this morning to, to see this humble Galilean riding into Jerusalem on that donkey for you see his concern was was not for his welfare but for ours in the nicene creed christians affirmed that jesus was very god of very god and yet he here he was humbling himself to be sacrificed like a farm animal on the cross Indeed, in the book of Revelation, He is referred to as the Lamb that was slain. No crown. No throne. No comfortable palace. He gave all of that up for us sinners. And that's why people at the bottom of society have always been drawn to Jesus. I think I've told you this this story before. It comes from John Gardner, in his book uh, titled Excellence. In his book titled Excellence, there is included a letter by Sarah Gooder, a a young girl who was working in the coal mines of England in 1842. And here's what Sarah wrote. She said, I am Sarah Gooder. I'm eight years old. I'm a coal carrier in the Gauber mine. It does not tire me, but I have to work without a light, and that scares me. I go at four and sometimes half, half past three in the morning and come out at five and half past in the evening. I never go to sleep. Sometimes I sing when I have light, but not in the dark. I dare not sing in the dark. I don't like being in the coal pit. I'm very sleepy when I go in in the morning. I go to Sunday school, she said, and I learn to read. They teach me to pray. I have heard tell of Jesus many a time. I don't know why he came on earth, and I don't know why he died, but he had stones for his head to rest on. Yes, my friends, that's how people lived in civilized England around the time of our Civil War, with an 8-year-old girl working 14 hours a day in a coal mine. But did you notice in that letter what impressed Sarah the most about Jesus. He had stones for his head to rest on. No soft pillow. No luxurious mansion. He cared enough to come down to where Sarah was. He cared enough to come down to to the least and the lowest. To be among the least and the lowest. And to be the least and the lowest along with them so let me ask you something this morning do you have that that much greatness in you to see the needs of the least and the lowest and to be with them and to minister to them as Jesus did or are you one of those petty little people who can't see past your own needs and desires My friends, humility is the key to greatness. It is the key to greatness. And that's important for us to see this morning. Servanthood is the path to true success. And some of the greatest people who ever lived have viewed themselves as servants. And they have blessed our world tremendously. There was an article a while back about a 14-year-old Jewish girl at the end of World War II who was discovered lost and, and alone and just barely alive, lying on the platform of an abandoned railway station. This was the day when the Russian army liberated the Nazi-controlled labor camp in that, in that area in, in which she had been held captive. And even though she was free, she was half-starved. She was too exhausted to pick herself up. She was just lying there on the platform. And she basically had determined that she would just die there. And then a young priest found her. He offered her tea and two slices of bread and some cheese. And he asked, where do you want to go? And she managed to say, Krakow. He said, I'm going there too. Let me help you. He tried to lift Edith. Her name was Edith. He tried to lift Edith to her feet, but she just collapsed. She was so weak. She she couldn't stand. And so he literally picked her up and literally carried her two miles to the train that was headed to Krakow. What's your name, he asked. Edith Zira, she replied. He said, my name is Carol. When they arrived at Krakow, they were separated and they never saw each other again for a long time until the year 2000 in the year 2000 in Jerusalem at the Holocaust Museum at the Holocaust Memorial there Edith Zerer, with tears in her eyes clasped the hands of a Polish priest named Karol whom the world knew as Pope John Paul II the Pope had performed That quiet act of service, of lifting up and carrying this poor Holocaust survivor. And Edith never forgot that. Before the whole world, she declared, he came like an angel out of nowhere and he gave me life. He saved me. There was no other word for it. It's thanks to him that I am here today. And then Edith quoted a verse from the Talmud that says, to save one life is to save the world. You know, sometimes we, when we think about the Pope, we think, we think of him in terms of the pomp and the circumstance of his position. We think of the beautiful and elaborate decorations of the Vatican. We think of his richly adorned vestiges. And, and we, we forget that many of the modern Popes, including our current Pope Francis, they have a heart. Of a servant. And the lesson is that greatness grows from humility and service. Dr. Ken Carter tells a story that comes from the Russian Jewish uh, tradition. It's about a, a, a rabbi in a small village who vanished for several hours every Friday morning. And the villagers used to brag about him being gone during his hours on Friday morning. And they would say that during these hours, their rabbi ascended to heaven to talk with God. But a newcomer came to town and he really didn't believe that the rabbi went to heaven to talk to God every Friday morning. And so he determined to uncover the truth about where the the rabbi really went. And so on Friday morning, this newcomer uh, hid near the rabbi's house and, and, and followed him. And he saw the the rabbi say his prayers and and then he changed his clothes. He put on the clothes of a peasant. And next he saw the the rabbi take an axe and go into the forest. And the newcomer watched as the rabbi chopped down a tree and gathered a bundle of wood. Next he saw the rabbi proceed to the, the poorest section of the village in which the old woman lived with her sick son. And, and he watched as the rabbi deposited the wood, which was enough for a week, at the old woman's door and then quietly returned to his home. The story concludes with the newcomer staying in that village and became he became a, a disciple of that rabbi. And the story ends like this. Whenever he hears one of the villagers say, on Friday morning, our Rabbi ascends all the way to heaven. The newcomer quickly adds, if not higher. Jesus came into Jerusalem riding a donkey. And part of this was undoubtedly to fulfill an ancient prophecy. Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would arrive gentle and riding on a donkey. And I'm sure that, that Jesus knew that this prophecy uh, knew about this prophecy when he chose a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on that day. But this this act of humility, it was, a, it was completely within his character. That's who Jesus was. Paul said he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, according to theologian Marcus Borg, There were two parades in Jerusalem that that Palm Sunday. We see Jesus riding that small donkey accompanied by his followers coming from the the north into Jerusalem. But But that parade was not the largest parade that day, nor was it the most spectacular parade in town during that Passover season. Because coming from the west was the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And like the other Roman governors of Judea, Pontius Pilate lived in Caesarea by the sea. In other words, Pilate spent most of his time in his beach house. But the crowds of devout Jews flowing into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, uh, with with that taking place, Pilate felt that it was necessary for him to put on a display of force. I mean, after all, Passover commemorates the the deliverance of the Jews from the the rule of of Pharaoh. And that sentiment sometimes sparked a spirit of, of revolution and dissent. And so Pilate didn't want them to get any ideas about rising up against Rome. And so he felt the need to display a demonstration of force. The Roman army that accompanied Pilate included soldiers on horses and foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners with golden eagles mounted on poles and sun glinting glinting off of the gold. There was the sound of marching feet and the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles and the beating of drums. And all of this would have had a sobering effect on those who saw this parade. No one shouted Hosanna as Pilate rose into, uh, uh, rode in his, into Jerusalem on his stallion, leading his regiment of the most trusted soldiers, hoping to strike fear into those resentful onlookers. And if things did get out of hand, Pilate had several battalions of Roman soldiers garrisoned on the west side of the town, ready to flood into the city to crush any hint of rebellion. And so there we have Pilate. Willing without exception to take the life of anyone who dared to question his authority. And then there was Jesus, willing without exception to lay down his life for the least and the lowest. Could any contrast be more absolute than that? And we are left to choose. Will we go with Pilate, the merciless, who would crush others in order to gain his own way? Or will we go with Christ, the merciful, who laid down his life for others? It is a choice that we make more often than we think. And we do it in the way that we treat those that we come into contact with each day, especially those in need of mercy. I hope we will choose Jesus. I hope that we will choose Him by opening up our hearts and praying, Lord, give me the ability to love others as Christ loved me. Help me to live a life of service as Jesus lived a life of humble service even when He was the Lord of all of creation. Help me to make whatever changes that you want me to make so that I can be the man or woman committed to the service of others. So that I may follow the path of the one who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. May it be so in each of our lives that we would come not to be served, but to serve. Amen. Amen. Let us sing together, number 308, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Let us sing together in, in uh, recognition of the Christ who came, the Savior who came, the sacrifice that he made, the love that he demonstrated to each of us, and the example that he set for us to live a life of servanthood. You go from here, remember the parade of praise. Remember the humility of Christ that ultimately brought Him greatness. <coughs> remember the meaning of Christ's Lordship in, in all your life and work and in all of the tough decisions of each day. Remember that the crucified Christ goes with you to empower you to live a life of servanthood as He did. Amen. Amen.
3: his secret plan before But God.